0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine daily podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 26th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary with me. As always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, uh, has bought Twitter, or apparently is on the verge of buying Twitter and taking it private. Meaning he is paying, is it 46 billion? It's like uh, 44 billion. A finance deal. It's not like this is coming out of his pocket. Well, no, one third of it apparently is coming out of his pocket. One third of it is coming through an investment vehicle. And uh, there's a missing third or something. But anyway, um, so we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. And it's a fascinating moment because you know, obviously, uh, Jeff Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, uh, basically at a fire sale. Right? He paid two hundred and fifty million dollars for the Washington Post, a pro- property that once was worth five or six billion. Uh, Elon Musk swings for the fences; has bought an entire social media platform. I think, as we were talking about this, this is the first takeover or change in ownership of a social media platform in this fashion ever uh either they folded or they've been swallowed up by other social media platforms and um god the reaction is just fascinating it's fascinating beyond belief uh this is the ultimate warshock test in some ways and uh, it all goes to people seeming to feel as though they own Twitter and that their ownership of Twitter is being taken away from them. Um, anybody? Abe, hey, let me start with you.
1: Yeah. Can I just, well, I want to reframe what you said because yeah. it reminds me of a something I tweeted when this, the just when Musk first pr- proposed the idea um, a week or so ago. Uh, about the reaction. I don't know if it's that people think they own Twitter, it's that people think Twitter is the real world and therefore they think Musk is buying the world.
2: Right. Well, yeah, that's a very good that's an extremely good point. <clears throat> First as you say, you know the the freak out here on the part of the left is is disingenuous. They're the the list of democratic lawmakers using this as justification for the, the absolute moral necessity of just confiscating wealth because it exists is disturbingly long. But they justify it by saying, well, a billionaire can't own a media company. They, they conflate the idea of a media company and a social media company. And, and it also disregards the entire media landscape, which is a collection of billionaires who own these interests. Like just about every media, media well, not just television, cable news, but print too. And then beyond that, you know, there's this presumption here that he's that it's just going to be the Wild West. There's this Associated Press piece today, which is hysterical, absolutely hysterical. I haven't seen the amount of apoplexy demonstrated in this piece on display in this piece in coverage of the war in Europe and all its catastrophic consequences. They've worked themselves up into this weird froth, in part because I think Abe's right. Uh, and even Musk used this phrase that that Twitter is the town square, which is really misleading uh it's a misapprehension of what this this thing is and it leads to a lot of corollaries that i think inform why twitter is such a terrible place now if you think this is the town square because a it's really really small it's not diverse it's disproportionate uh demographically education income and political views and a town square requires some investment you moved there you, you chose the place, you've built, you know, you've, you've sank money into it, and you've ambulated your way to the town square to engage with your neighbors. That's why the town square gets more attention from political figures, because you're demonstrating your investment and your likelihood of your outsized influence. That doesn't exist here. There's no investment. There's no barrier to entry. All you did was open an app.
1: And uh, your dealings in the town square are sort of contingent upon your behavior toward other people. There are no consequences. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the sort of uh, consequences for w- coming up against woke sensibilities. But I mean, um, no one speaks to each other on the town square the way they speak that's, to each other on Twitter. That's a great this, point. This it's is a I, very, very poor, poor substitute. It, for it's
2: actually square. a point I, I made in, in my book at some point because there was this professor in, in Britain who was talking about how you know conversations devolve into shockingly racist performance art over, you know, like really anodyne banal stuff. And if you think that's how inter, interpersonal relationships
3: go, you're crazy. Right. Well, there's also the, the, one of the things that's been sort of beautifully revealing about the response to Musk's uh, successful attempt to buy Twitter is, Twitter is one of the most um, toxic ideological monocultures in Silicon Valley as a place of employment. The people who work at Twitter, who have just spent the last, you know, 48 hours, you know, talking to reporters about their great fear because, oh, my word, this supervillain Elon Musk has bought, you know, has bought our company. What's going to happen to us? It's it. it, it I totally agree, Noah, that, it, that the level of hysteria is is notable. But if if he does only one thing and that's to change that ideological monoculture at at corporate headquarters, that alone would do enough to kind of transform this place. And I think that in part speaks to the panic on the part of a lot of media figures who rely on Twitter and who think that their followers are something that they have earned through their own um, amazing celebrity insights, when in fact, the platform is designed to funnel those people to them and for them to have to do very little to support that. I mean, one of the things that Musk is is bandied about is the idea that if you have a lot of followers, you might end up having to pay to keep them. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that Twitter could be monetized that's going to change the relationship of the of the heavy users on Twitter who get a lot of emotional sustenance from the from the ideological bubble they live in that is supported by the corporate monoculture of Twitter that could end. And I think that is driving a lot of the panic.
0: I loved Twitter. uh, Particularly in the first two or three years that I used it, say, to 2009 to 2012, let's say. I loved it. It, it was a wonderful form of um, easy self-expression, particularly if you're of a, of a somewhat humorous cast of mind and therefore inclined toward one-liners, which is essentially what a tweet is. It's a one-liner. It was even more radically a one-liner when it was 140 characters mm-hmm. rather than 280 characters. Uh, I hired people off Twitter, I found writers off Twitter, I made friendships on Twitter, something changed. Uh, Twitter changed, the way Facebook changed, but Twitter really changed around 2012-2013. It's hard to say why it happened, or what happened, and it obviously got a lot clearer in 2015 with the ideological fireworks that surrounded Trump's ascension and people getting upset about Trump's ascension and people triumphantly uh, trumpeting Trump's ascension and then uh, liberals who hate all concern anybody who isn't a liberal, uh, totally freaking out about Trump's ascension. But even before that, an ugliness became a kind of... Um, Coin of the realm. And it wasn't like that at the beginning. It wasn't like that at the beginning on Facebook either, which was mostly people putting up pictures from their family reunions or putting up pictures of their kids or whatever. It was these were relatively nice and benign platforms, and something happened. And that something isn't them. It's not they didn't do it, they are a reflection of a change in the American psyche or the american po- way the america expresses itself publicly and um but has what you yeah
1: go ahead but but isn't that sort of the way of all online interaction over time yes every but that's comment sections other platforms they right. get more tribal right. people are nastier to each other right standards
0: drop so the que- so it's not twitter it's something else either Either social media is reflecting and teaching us deep truths about human nature and human interaction that we never really would have understood before because we never had this experiment in universal, commun- universal instantaneous communication that traverses geographical boundaries, social boundaries, boundaries of fame, boundaries of money. All People are sort of leveled and can interact in a way that has never been possible before in, in all of human history. It's another reason why the town square analogy is so preposterous because it is by definition, not a town. There is no town square. The planet is the town. Therefore town squares involve people, you know, who have an intensity because they're local because they share deep commonality of a space that they, that they share that is, completely propinquitous to where they live, where they work, where the kids go to school, where they play, where they, where they buy their stuff. And, uh, and, and you, whatever the, the internet mimics that, but of course is the opposite of that. It brings the world to you. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't ground you in the local. Right. So uh, I felt twitter do this to me by the way i mean i felt it i rolled over me it's one of the reasons i quit that um it triggered not only dopamine but some kind of weird fight or flight response if i got attacked i had to fight back then i would then the person would fight back then it was sort of like well you had to win you couldn't drop it if you dropped it you were letting the other person win win what what was the fight why were you having an argument with somebody you don't know over Twitter, um, it was pre-conscious almost. It was sort of like, and it was an impulse that was pushed, buttons pushed and buttons triggered. Elon Musk has come in to buy this thing. The claim, he, his claim, is that he is doing it in order to re A He said it's, it's undervalued. Wildly undervalued. The company has been run into the ground uh, it, it has the same stock valuation pretty much as it's had, you know, had eight years ago, uh, while the market has gone up, you know, I don't know what it's gone up 30%. It's bad. Therefore, if he's buying it, and he's buying it at a premium. He's obviously not just buying it because he wants to control it. He thinks that <laughs> they screwed it up. The Twitter board and the Twitter manager screwed it up and that there's something that can be done with it that will make it something much more valuable. So there's that which people no one is no one is even talking about. He's not he's not stupid. He's not like he's not like putting 20 billion dollars on money into this because he thinks, you know, we really need to have a proper, you know, forum where the Babylon B isn't going to get shadow shadow banned. Like no one's going to spend 20 billion dollars on that. You know, you can barely get people like this to 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 donate five cents, let alone 20 billion dollars. So he obviously thinks that it, there is a there is a good financial play here. Um, what I think is that whatever Twitter is isn't really savable, and that uh, there is no salvation for it. It can be better run. It can be monetized the way Christine talks about, where people actually have to pay to have two million followers. Because, you know, if they get two million, if you're somebody, if you're a Twitter celebrity and you have 5 million followers, you can get paid $100,000 a tweet by a sneaker company or a cosmetics company or, some, or you know, whatever. If you're Kim Kardashian, you get a million dollars a tweet. Well, why is Twitter not getting a cut of that?
3: Yeah. See, he should pull an Obama and turn to all of those uh, mega users and be like, you didn't build this. That's like the, Remember right. that
0: line? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did kind of build it. But again, like right. they're sitting there on the platform, monetizing the platform. And Twitter has some kind of corkscrew monetization system where they get ads that are labeled as ads or, you know, they what however they do it. And he's right. Like this doesn't This actually doesn't make any sense. It's as though somebody set up a, you know, like a booth in your house, sold their goods and then never paid you rent. Like it it doesn't, there's something illogical about it. And that's where the rubber is going to meet the road. Will people do it? Will they pay for it? Will they share their, will they share royalty with Twitter? If that were to happen, if if there were a modality in which they could establish that as a real thing, which could be. The fee for the number of followers, or whatever, over a million or something like that, will they continue to do it? If they will, and if if it's if it's everybody's interest, then yeah, Twitter is going to become insanely profitable because it's no longer going to have this weird bank shot. It's like TV advertising; they're selling eyeballs, and you know, maybe a sponsor tweet. You can get this, and blah blah blah. So I think that he is taking a stab at the idea that the world is so changed. This is a new kind of way of form of communication. And the people who run it do not even understand how to monetize it. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand who's benefiting and who's not benefiting. And under such circumstances, the idea that it is not a fair... Space. It's not a fair forum. It 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 puts fi- its finger on the scale ideologically towards some causes and not others, and everything like that. That will be bad for business because if you're selling ad space, let's just say you think of Twitter as being an ad space salesman, where where Twitter gets a cut. Twitter should want the Babylon Bee to have five million followers because then when the Babylon Bee sells something, it can get a cut if if the National Wildlife Society gets X, Y, and Z, just because it's a nonprofit, it has to pay for direct mail. Why shouldn't it have to pay for its space but, on Twitter?
3: But this is where they're gonna have to have a real corporate culture shakeup because the Babylon Bee got got booted for supposedly, quote unquote, dead naming people, misgendering people. There's this extremely aggressive woke policymaking with regard to kicking people off the platform that is never applied to say outright, you know calls for violence by radical anti-Semites, that, that's fine. You know, leaders of, in Tehran, sure, verify their accounts, let them tweet out whatever they want. But a, a satire site mis—you know misgender someone to make a joke and they're off the platform. So that inconsistency has got to be changed. And I do think it's notable that the, the phrase I've heard knocked around over the last 36, 48 hours free speech absolutist. This is what this is seen as a pejorative because like this is so terrifying because Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist. I'm like, you either care about free speech or you don't. It's not a matter of absolutism. It's a matter of, and we have seen an erosion in, in support for free speech. So the very fact that we're having these debates about free speech again, and he's the avatar is good for the country. We need to be talking more about free speech and how it's eroded.
2: Okay, but Christine, I have a question for you. What planet is this new culture coming from? Where, where are these new content moderators with their paradigmatic shift being imported from? Because Elon Musk isn't going to be sitting there content moderating. He's right. probably not going to be very engaged with this, his least profitable company at all. Right. And the notion right. here bandied about by these people who are terrified of what content moderation is going to become, that it's just going to be the Wild West, are essentially saying that what he's gonna do are self is self destructive abdication of best practices and his fiduciary responsibility to investors by turning the place into a pit. The biggest bet, the best bet, my bet, is that very little will change. Yes, yeah. They perhaps some consistency applied to the practice of um, content moderation.
3: Well, to be, I, that's I'm a not good sure point. I, it well, okay, it depends not, on who yeah, he yeah. puts in to run the day to day. Like he could actually make a very savvy pick of someone who is not gonna kowtow to the woke uh, ideal and then the people who work for that place will either leave or fall in line I mean that they are kind of that way anyway they're lemmings Look, on I, I ideology. mean I,
0: yeah I don't agree with you Noah I think he has every incentive to change the to change the structure of the content moderation the structure of the content moderation has followed the model that Twitter doesn't want to be blamed for bad political outcomes in the United States, bad political outcomes being defined as things that liberals don't like, and they don't want to be defined by that. And he's not going to care. And the company is owned by him, lock, stock and barrel. It is going private. He has a fiduciary responsibility to his investors, but, but they're not stockholder. I mean, they're not, They're not publicly traded stockholders doesn't have to have. It's a private company. And therefore he can, I mean, he's got to follow federal fairness laws and everything like that, but they can't get at him. They're not going to be, you know, annual, there aren't going to be quarterly meetings. There are not going to be, you know, attacks on whatever he it's him
3: well and he could, and, one of the,
0: and it's his managers and yeah you can say someone can come in and say i really think we need to ban x and he'll say no and then they'll quit and then they'll write an op-ed about how they needed to they wanted to ban you know a terrible thing that's dead naming and it won't matter because he's playing for a different set of he's 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 up to a different thing. He is trying to turn this. I think really, it seems like it was flighty, but I'm not. He's not putting twenty billion dollars up of his own money to be flighty. He's a genius, and he sees a hole and a market opportunity, and that's what's missing from this conversation. It's like when when Robert Rice yesterday. I mean. You know, I don't even want to dignify the idea that what Robert Reich says is to be taken seriously, but he said, Elon Musk takes over who, where else are people going to get a chance to, you know, express short thoughts and short sentences like anybody. And it's like nowhere else. So what? He's going to make it easier for people to do that, not harder. That's the whole point.
3: Well he could he wants he, to make it yeah go ahead I was going to say he one thing he could do is actually outline some principles about what he means when he talks about free speech. Right. He's had some tweets about free speech, but he could say, look, it doesn't mean free speech doesn't mean it's going to turn into a cesspool and anything goes. It means he could just follow along the lines of what courts have said about the First Amendment. So, you know, no in no incitements to violence, no like fire in a crowded theater type speech, no um, defamatory speech. He could talk about obscenity, you know, so it doesn't become, a, you know, just a just a feed for porn. He can do all that. He's applying he Oliver it. Wendell
2: Holmes's rational rash- to his free speech moderation, then we are totally screwed.
3: <laughs> well, but I just mean he can outline principle. He can be like, look, I, I'm going to follow the principles that the vast majority of Americans think of when they think about protecting free speech rights, which isn't that you can say anything and do anything in, in the free speech context. Possibly. I mean, there we, are limits.
2: We've seen indications that he, he's not the champion of, of controversial issues. <laughs> I think that he pretends to be. One of the things that he wants to do, for example, is authenticate users, right, which doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be pseudonymous, but it does mean you can't be pseudonymous. And pseudonym, uh, pseudonymity is is a bedrock value of the promotion of exploration of and promotion of ideas, controversial ideas. That's yeah, but, a free yeah, speech. There's advocate.
1: nothing. But you're not entitled to, to, to pseudonymity on a given. You're not given space. You're you not. Know?
2: But if you were I if mean, if you were if you were uh, uh, prosecuting a campaign in favor of absolutist free speech, then you'd absolutely champion anonymity,
1: but I don't think he is. But, but but no, I think you're. What you're pointing to is is what I think is the most exciting thing about about him, which is that he represents a split from the from establishment sensibilities, without the radical impulses of say the new right, for example. Um, and there are a and so when you say so, where's from what culture are the are the new content moderators going to come from? There are a lot of people who find that very attractive. It's not just that.
0: I don't think he pos- positions himself as an advocate of free, whatever. He's a guy who says- He's self-stated whatever is free on his speech m- maximalist, I think, right? I don't well, think I'm making okay, that up. So, so he I said like it one day. He's not a systematic, political, social thinker. That is not what he is, and he is not. The one thing I think we can probably guess is that the ordinary way that these guys try to maximize their own position, particularly socially, and particularly when they're controversial, if they're Bill Gates, who you may remember, was a highly controversial figure, sued for antitrust, you know, had his, had his company broken up slightly, uh, stupid judicial ruling about how the browser was a total, you know, was like a monopolistic instrument. Um, embarrassing, you know, illiteracy shown by a federal judge there. Uh, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, these guys, they sue for cultural peace against the liberal establishment. That's what they do in order to either. They may believe it. They don't believe it. I don't know. To clean up their reputations, to change the way they look. It's the way they philanthropically move themselves. Right. So, uh, You know, they have they add Doris Kearns Goodwin to an advisory committee and they have, you know, I don't know, you know, they have they have they have uh, anti-racist initiatives at their foundations. And they do this and they do that, all of which is about bolstering their image, which has always been, you know, problematic and controversial. They buy peace. They buy they buy a degree of they they quiet down the controversy because people start to rely on their money and all of that. That is not Elon Musk, whatever he is. Like, he's not going to the PBS NewsHour looking for validation or salvation from his controversy. A, he likes being controversial, and B, those, for whatever reason, he seems to be allergic to wanting establishmentarians to think well of him. Either he's allergic to it, he thinks it's bad for his model. Who knows? He's a very eccentric person. Uh, and, and so that's what's going to be different here. We're talking about who, where is he going to fit in on free speech or this or the other thing. It's that he doesn't care what the faculty of Harvard thinks of him. And he doesn't really care what the New York Times editorial page thinks of him. You know, what are the issues that we know that he was, was really passionate about? Pot legalization. You know, but he doesn't like regulation because he wants to build Hyperloops. So he doesn't like land use regulation. I mean, he is. He's super into colonizing Mars. has been right, way well, the, into colonizing yeah, Mars for a long time. Right. Anyway. Pretty eccentric. This is a new kind of thing happening. And I I think we can't really, the thing is that he's making the right enemies. That's when we talk about what's funny about about the response to him. What's funny is he's making the right enemies in the sense that we're talking about the people who are choking off all of the originality and uh, heterodoxy of American life and trying to impose a rigid, ideological orthodoxy on everybody. And I just wanna quote, I have to find this, I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble here. I wanna quote from this absolutely preposterous piece by uh, um, a new columnist of the New York Times, longtime uh, tech journalist, Greg Bensinger, uh, who worked for the Washington Post covering Silicon Valley and all of this, published a piece last night, Twitter under Elon Musk will be a scary place. Why? Is it because of free speech? Is it because, you know, there's going to be porn or this or that or the other thing? No, it's because people who have worked for him in Silicon Valley say that he creates unsafe spaces in the workplace. Um, Mr. Musk said that central to his vision, this is Greg Bansinger for the service, is to be an inclusive arena for for free speech. But users should understand what that phrase means. It means free speech for people like Mr. Musk. Uh, Even as Twitter's board on Monday was debating his offer, Mr. Musk was setting the tone for his leadership by tweeting that Securities and Exchange Commission officials were shameless puppets. Okay, let's follow the logic here. So he tweeted that that the SEC is shameless puppets. But that's only so he's going to prevent other people from saying things like this. SEC is shameless puppets. He says, say whatever you want about the SEC. So it's not just free speech for him. It is free speech for everybody. That's ridiculous. Mr. Mr. Musk has not been a responsible caretaker for the companies he already oversees. Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and the boring company in the early months of the pandemic Mr. Musk thumbed his nose at health officials whose shelter-in-place orders he called fascist by forcing workers at Tesla back on the job in violation of local health regulations. And Tesla has been dogged for years by allegations of racist abuse, discrimination, and sexual harassment at its factory in Fremont, California, where six women said they suffered catcalling and unwanted touching and advances. The company has said it does not tolerate such behavior. So he says shelter-in-place is fascist, He thumbed his nose at health officials and six people who work for him at a company that says it doesn't tolerate such behavior said they were catcalled out of thousands of employees. And he wanted people back on the job because he makes cars which have to be manufactured in a plant and assembled so that can't be done in your pajamas from your study in Pacific Heights. Greg Bensinger. This is the level of musk hatred on the part of people who don't like him. You would have thought they would have liked him. He's weird and heterodox and peculiar, and and you know, you can't put him in under under any, you know, under under any labels in the world of sort of counterculture, uh, you know. Love of counterculture and eccentricity and all that. And we're all our own person and everyone is in their own unique snowflake. These people don't like that. They want corporate They want everybody to march in lockstep to their agenda. And if they don't do it, then six employees of a corporation employing thousands of people getting cat calls is the fault of the CEO who has not, been accused of catcalling and making handsy advances on staffers in Fremont, California during the assemblage of cars that his company sells that were somehow supposed to have been mysteriously manufactured on a stay-at-home policy. Am I taking crazy pills
1: here? One of the worst things to have happened to our culture in the past few years is the use of these terms safe and unsafe as metaphors. When people say safe and unsafe now, they don't actually mean they're physically safe or unsafe. They mean they're in circumstances that may be unpleasant, that may be unfair, but it's not safe and unsafe. And it mirrors exactly the, the sort of metaphorical thinking about Twitter as the real world.
0: Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And I think in the end, my point is Elon Musk doesn't care what Greg Bensinger thinks. Almost everybody else in Silicon Valley and in the world of tech and in the world of the new corporate chieftains that grew up since the 1980s cares desperately about what Greg Bensinger thinks. Steve Jobs only thought about how he could seduce the tech journalists who covered him. You know, I mean, that was and what's more, it was a very savvy strategy on his part because in the end, they were all in his pocket. Walter Isaacson wrote a, you know, hagiography about Steve Jobs that would have made Vasari blush when Vasari wrote about Michelangelo. Vasari would have said, you know, really, this goes a bit far. This is this, this is what they have done, you know, for decades. And he is coming at this from a different angle. I don't even know what his angle is. I don't know who he's going to listen to. Nobody knows who's, who he's going to listen to. It seems like the people who are backing him on Twitter are like <clears throat> Mark Andreessen, you know, and David Sachs and people like that. The unconventional, politically unconventional people out of. Silicon Valley, who, you know, look at him and say he's a genius and I like what he's doing. And, you know, you're all you're all lunatics. I mean, so I it's God only knows where this goes. And maybe the best thing that could happen is for it all to blow up and Twitter to collapse because Twitter is bad. And I don't know how it's ever going to be good. It's not it's not a force for good. And it hurts people. And it's 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 bad for people. but you know uh i wouldn't uh, you know and this is his this is his first investment outside actual the things that are making things right that's what he does is make things twitter is something entirely different and maybe he'll fail um but it's not like twitter didn't fail i mean twitter's revenues are not commensurate with its uh you know, with its standing and with its use and with its with its prominence, because the, t- the people who ran Twitter didn't know what don't know what they're doing, or they prioritize things like their social standing over how to make this country company profitable. No wonder the sale went through. I mean, if you were a Twitter stockholder, who would you think? A, you're going to make money for the first time. Right, because he's paying a premium, and B, do you really think that if you don't take the offer and Twitter, that you're ever going to make money off the stock after ten years? I don't know. I'm fascinated, uh, and I and look, um, we keep talking about interesting alterations, you know, uh, weird uh, penumbers and emanations, and little bits of information that suggest that the national mood on a, a lot of things is changing. After this incredible leftward lurch in the wake of the George Floyd killing, that sort of took over most of sort of most liberal institutions. And that now we have all these responses. We have the Virginia response in the elections, and we have the Florida response, and we have all kinds of things going on. Um, this is maybe another, another. A data point and you do have one of the one of the big things that liberals and leftists are always saying about the about the right is they're so scared we're all so scared because you know our world is being our our dominance is being taken away from us our privilege is being challenged and you know in another decade another generation we're going to be majority minority and so mm-hmm. this is a rearguard action fighting to preserve what little ground we have because they're taking it away from us and you know all of that. And what I see is every moment there is a counter response to the liberal effort to take over, to sort of follow through on this and to force this all to happen. They're the ones who are saying, he's taking my Twitter away from me. You know, he's, you know, when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington post, there was all that too. You remember, it was like, he's taking this precious jewel of, Washington Post has become one of the worst papers in the world. Bezos has actually turned it into a better paper, though also it's just an unbelievably biased, you know, repugnant, you know, uh, pr- preacher of repugnance. And we haven't even gone into The Emancipator, I don't even, which is this new project of the Boston Globe. Uh, Boston Globe has basically now created some kind of weird special section, indep- semi-independent project, which is, uh, is going to retell the story of America from uh, the reconstruction on as the story of white people trying to destroy black people
3: it, it's important to note that the emancipator is a project of ibram x Kendi's anti-racism center at boston university so this is this whole thing is linked to Kendi, and i think yeah. nicole hannah jones sits on the advisory board so it's basically another um corporate uh production of anti-racism inc uh brought to you with with complete and it's very funny because the opening salvo is like oh no we're, we're really going to invite contributions and insights from people all over the race spectrum and if you look at the actual existing content no they're not the, the cartoon section alone is basically called everything is racist and they're not saying that ironically this is this right. cartoon love, section is going to do that
1: i love how late to the game they are though yeah, I mean exactly. You know, this is the, the 1619 project was launched when, like three, 20 years, nine, ago. 2019 yeah, three or years ago, three years ago. Some mean,
0: 2019. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's so 2019. Is that what you're saying? But my <laughs> that point, is what I'm my, saying. Right. But my, my 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 point is that um that they are, you know, they are they think that I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, but they think yeah. these ideas are somehow transgressive.
2: They're not challenging anybody. They're not, seeking out, they think... they're not seeking out audiences that, they're just, that they intend to challenge. They're not promoting ideas that challenge anybody. Of the, They're cultivating an audience of like minds, most of whom are particularly are, are share their demographic traits. Um, so, you know, in, insofar as we're talking about free speech and the promotion of controversial ideas, this is exactly what you don't want to see. You would like to see your audiences be challenged once in a while or at least at least have the capacity to envision a challenge
0: nobody to wants to challenge I do. their audience no I, I do, know but and do it often no but let me explain to you what I mean by that I mean we live at a time of unbelievable anxiety about uh, the uh, the importance of co- how uh, of communications and how communications are done and the people who do it are they going to make a living? Is there, you know, they they they're, they're paid nothing. Uh, you know, they're they're half the number of newspapers they used to be, and there are nobody in state cat. Nobody's listening, and you could just put something up on Facebook, and then you're, you know, it's that's more important than my article. You don't. No one even knows my byline. Nobody knows where anything is from because it's all links and all of that. There's incredible levels of anxiety. All people want is to generate followers who will who know who they are and will follow them and that's in in the end going to be like-minded people and so the the because uh people no longer trust that there is an independent audience of uh interested people who just read or pay attention to things because that's what they do as human beings they don't believe that uh they don't believe for example that I mean, it's this kind of constant, you know, thing about how, oh, conservatives only watch Fox. So Fox is an audience of three or four million a night. There are 80 or 90 million conservatives in the United States. They don't just watch Fox. But, you know, this is like their, this is their mantra to themselves. They're so stupid. They only watch Fox. You know what? Anybody who watches Joy Reid is stupider than anybody who watches Fox. And believe me, I'm not a big fan of Fox. So, you know, but it's the Joy Reid viewer who says that the Fox viewer, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Now I'm just, I'm now I've just gone into just rant, crazy rant mode here. So I think I'm going to stop and talk to you about trees. I'm going to talk to you about trees because trees are nice. It's spring. You like a good tree. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree and I think I shall never see a company as lovely as fastgrowingtrees.com because spring and summer the seasons for finally getting outdoors for entertaining pool parties and barbecues but if your yard looks like a plant cemetery you're not going to enjoy it as much get your place looking like a resort easy with fast growing trees when it comes to caring for your plants know-how matters that's why fastgrowingtrees.com's experts curate thousands of plant varieties that will thrive in your specific climate location and needs There's no waiting in lines. No messy cars from hauling plants over town because you order online or over the phone and your plants are shipped to your door in one or two days. Plus, their growing and care advice is available 24-7. Whether you're looking for increased privacy shade or adding some natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees has the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them. Even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do. One million home gardeners have already seen what Fast Growing Trees uh, can do for them. Can
2: I throw in actually
0: an unsolicited Oh uh, please! endorsement of this thing yes. because I spent
2: an hour and a half on this website last night. I'm looking for a kickback from, from fast growing trees. If you're listening and I this ended up purchasing
0: the, the ad is the kickback.
2: I ended up purchasing. Oh no, I need skin in the game because I purchased uh, it, like a thousand dollars worth of trees. They have incredible fruit tree selections, incredible stuff that you've never yet You didn't think could possibly grow where, where you live and like weird hybrids
0: of fruit trees. It's, it's a pretty impressive selection over there. Okay. I need to pull back the curtain. Uh, and and do the and do the meta thing here, because Noah doesn't know this because he doesn't have the ad copy up. I only have the ad copy up at the very moment that the ad copy <laughs> has a bracket that says, "Add personal endorsement this here." Is why, this is why you pay for a live read, with a statement like "I love fastgrowingtrees.com because close bracket." Noah did that spontaneously, spontaneously. This is how much he loves fastgrowingtrees.com. And they have a 30-day live and Thrive guarantee, so you can trust that everything will be healthy for years to come. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary right now, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Well, that was a very, very serendipitous moment here on the podcast. Let's uh, Let's try to keep it going. I'm not sure how. Uh <clears throat> so um I, I got two things. I was listening la- last night, uh, I, I didn't even mention this to you. So I was listening last night to the 538 podcast, and they did their first Republican draft. Like who's gonna be the primary nominee in 2024? So it's Nate Silver and his colleagues, and so Nate's of course the first pick in the draft is Trump. Second pick in the draft is DeSantis, and then after that. It's all sort of like Cruz, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Marsha Blackburn, Tom Cotton. You know, they they sort of go through everything. And um, I, I was fascinated to see then this morning I get up and there's this poll in Georgia. Uh, Brian Kemp up against David Perdue in the governor's race. David Perdue, of course, senator from Georgia who lost... Uh, his uh, runoff race in 2020 because of Trump's temper tantrum that, ca- that sort of convinced 100,000 stupid Georgians to stay home and not vote in the runoff. Yes, I said stupid, delusional, crazy morons. Um, so David Perdue no longer a senator. So, of course, he's now running for governor against Brian Kemp, the governor, uh, because it's not enough that Trump lost him his Senate seat. Now he wants Trump to humiliate him by endorsing him. And then he's going to lose because apparently the poll has it, I guess the primaries next month, fifty-five twenty-seven. 27 Kemp over Purdue. Man was senator. He's now probably going to get like 30-35% of the primary vote with a Trump endorsement. I think that's kind of big. I, I mean, I, I'm not a big one on the Trump's not going to be the nominee. I still think, you know, if you have somebody put a gun to your head and made you bet a thousand dollars, the only bet you could possibly make would be that Trump would be the nominee in 2024. Uh, given, you know, <laughs> given what, given the alternative of getting shot in the head. Um, but that's really bad. Like, like, I mean, it's not like it's Pudu, not just campus Rassenberger, too. Oh, say Rafsenberger is the Secretary of State whom Trump has targeted because right. Rafsenberger. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm sorry, I didn't even see that poll number. Oh, yeah. So it was, a, I, I saw it
2: just this morning. <clears throat> I couldn't tell you where I saw it. It just crossed my transom. But yeah, Rapsenberger right. was up. Big. I uh, sufficient outside the margin of error. I don't remember okay. what the spread was. Both of them are a package deal. So because the issue, it, the defining yeah. issue set in this race, is 2020.
0: The first thing Bro- Purdue said in the debate between him and Kemp the other day was, "Hi, I'm David Perdue, and they stole the election in 2020." It's like, yeah, hmm, let's see. Uh, there's inflation, and there, there there's a crime wave, and uh, you know we got troops in. Uh, you know we got we got a fight in Ukraine. Uh, we got uh, pe- still the pe- you know bad policy on the pandemic. And this is where you go is to the 2020 election. That is interesting. It is interesting. And I think maybe this is the first time that I am getting a whiff or a feeling that Trump's absolute and utter refusal to engage with the issue set that is the most favorable issue set to Republicans in decades because of his own monomaniacal obsession with his psychotic inability to accept the fact that he lost an election by four points. And this, you know, game he's playing in his own brain to keep it going, it really is going to start making him look like, you know, Gloria Swanson in, in 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 Sunset Boulevard, you know, talking about how I was big, the movies got smaller. He, he's the, he, he will have been the biggest star in silent film by 2024 if he can't get his head out of his ass and actually address the things that are bothering America about Joe Biden, which aren't that his son was a cokehead, by the way, even though I, don't, I think it's a perfectly legitimate issue to bring up about Hunter's, uh, Hunter's behavior. I got no problem with it. But when you can say these people are leading us to 10 percent inflation and, uh, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And you're not saying that because you're saying there was a machine in in northern Michigan, you know, that. Issued a flawed ballot. I don't know.
1: So, well, I mean, what's funny is. The 2020 election is not even where the conspiracy theorists are anymore. They've moved on to fresher conspiracies involving Ukraine uh involving continued uh, uh uh covid policy you know I mean if you want to be purely cynical and you and 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 you still want the the paranoid core at least meet them where they are
3: they're onto new material right they're yeah. so 29 he's being so 2019 well the funny thing is that this ties into the Twitter question right because Trump was asked yesterday I believe would he go back on Twitter if Elon Musk you know, invited him to come back on. And he said, no, I, w- I won't go back on there. I'm going to use my own truth social, which he's posted like one thing on. But to Abe, Abe made this point a long time ago, and it comes up, a, I think about it a lot. Um, it, Trump getting off Twitter was, was such a boon to Trump because people didn't see as crazy. If he gets back on Twitter, that'll be good for the country because we'll see the crazy in real time all the time. And I suspect he'll hop back on there at some point. Um, I, I can't imagine he's going to be able to resist. He said he's not right. He actually I know made he, he claimed he's not. He said he's not. But please. I mean, the guy's word cannot be taken as as <laughs> solid evidence of anything. But the the more we hear from him obsessing about 2020, he did a sit down interview with uh, uh, Pierce Morgan last week. All he wants to do is talk about that. And when someone says to him, even a friendly reporter says, but you lost he freaks out i mean he really has no emotional uh, uh, discipline at all when it comes to that issue
2: i don't know about all this guys the <laughs> the shadows on the wall from 2020 continue continue to uh, have some serious leverage over republicans I, we risk over interpreting georgia because yeah It's not doing very well for him there, but the primary race isn't just about everywhere else in the country for statewide races in Senate, in particular, in places like Ohio and Arizona and Pennsylvania. Every Republican sounds like a populist nationalist crank. Now, there is a lot of crypto establishmentarians in there trying to navigate their way through this thicket to try to get to 30 percent of the vote where all the you know, there's this mass collision of populists who all get a certain percentage of the vote and maybe an establishmentarian can squeak through. That looks likely in Pennsylvania, uh, an outside shot in Ohio. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you were to just listen prima facie to what the arguments that are being made for Republican voters in these states are, they're, they're very Trumpy. And our experience throughout the Trump presidency was he called the tune and he called it on Twitter and if you were if you were made uncomfortable by that
0: you pretended not to see the tweet and if you weren't you made it your gospel okay but the central point here is that he has no issue set his issue set is i won in 2020 and the election was rigged and in 2023 after there is an election in 2022, so the idea is you don't want to poke the, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to poke, uh, you know, Cyclops, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to awaken the dragon, you don't want him to turn his attention on you. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in 2022. The idea has been basically to, to either some people are, are experimenting with playing his conscious heirs or being his conscious Voice, that's mm-hmm. Purdue, and I guess JD Vance and a couple of other people. And then there are the people who are like, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not getting into this. I'm nominally going to say that, you know, there are real concerns with loader fraud. I'm going to drop away. What I'm saying is populist policy stuff is something that Republicans are going to have to debate. That's, that's the overhang from Trump that there should be a public debate about. And there should be questions of, okay, you say you want America first and you want, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to implement it? What are the, what are the, what are the ways in which you are going to implement, you're going to follow through on this because they're going to have to answer those questions and the establishmentarians and the neocons and people like that actually have policy prescriptions And the problem with the NatCons and the TradCons and all of that is that they don't really have that many, and they need to be developing them now. The example of having to spend all this time fighting over over 2020 is retarding that process and distorting it. And all I'm saying is if that's all that Trump cares about, and we're at 14% inflation next year, and he's still saying, you know, in Maricopa County, you know, there was a, you know, there was a, a a blind guy counting votes. People are gonna go like, "What? Why, why? That's nice." Like, I don't, I don't care about this anymore. You know, my breakfast cereal cost my box of breakfast is costing six and a half dollars. That's what I care about. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I just think it's in. It's, it's an interesting. We don't know how it's gonna. <laughs> When you have a target-rich environment, you don't shoot at the targets because you're monomaniacally obsessed with your own pride. You're not a party leader. You're not a movement leader, and you are simply, you know, like the guy in the John Cheever story who shows up at every party and talks about the football game that he scored the touchdown in and then jumps over the couches to show how he jumped over over defenders like you know at some point people like oh no you can't invite Bob over like you know he's going to talk about the football game again I mean that that's and I I just think that there are little bits of evidence that that's what's that that's that that's what what may be happening obviously we have counter evidence in the fact that Mitch McConnell told Jonathan Martin on on January 7 2021 that Trump was despicable and that we're going to see the back of him and everything this was great the Democrats were going to destroy him You know, and then he saw the order of battle differently and has since said that, you know, he would vote for Trump in 2024 and all of that. So that's the other message, I guess. Not a good message, but. But it's still Mitch McConnell is still engaging with the day to day issues of the party. And with the political struggle. Uh, Anything you want to say, Noah, about Sergey Lavrov threatening nuclear war? Oh, they do that all the time. It's <laughs> it's
2: such an old old act, you know, get some new material. Boo. <laughs> it's really Yeah, not like moving. talk
0: about the electromagnetic pulse. Scare us for real. It doesn't scare. Talk about Europe. cyber war. Talk about the I think people would be more worried Europe about the idea be... that their cell phones won't work than that. There was a nuclear bomb. Oh, exploded. sure. I'm okay. not so joking. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The thermonuclear war begins with an electromagnetic pulse in the atmosphere that turns all the electronics off and refrigeration stops working. And, you you know, civilization collapses in the space of three weeks. All the cities empty out. People just you can't walk, make a tick tock. People just walk down it's a highway okay, you're looking me, for you're light. Me,
0: you're, you're getting way too serious, <laughs> like it's going to be bad enough that you can't post to TikTok,
2: i mean that too obviously i didn't want to really traumatize the audience um yeah but n- the you know say nuclear saber rattling is what they have in in their back pocket they pull it out every so often and we got news yesterday that it's it's utterly uh unconvincing to formerly neutral nations like finland and sweden both of which will apply for nato membership this spring. They are already provided security guarantees from the United States and other major NATO members. They are functionally already ascended to NATO membership. That couldn't have been part of the plan at the outset of this thing. And already, you know, the the news of the day is watch out for Transnistria. The Transnistria is this um, semi-breakaway region. It's one of many frozen conflicts that Moscow nurses and maintains. And um, a couple of bombs went off in some very strategic locations in this, um, this the capital of this uh, breakaway province in Moldova. Um, <clears throat> and there's some some fears that this thing could could get really hot very quickly and could contribute to what Moscow says is, a, is its new stated objective, not just this offensive in the east, which is stalled and not being particularly effective, but a push to capture the entire Ukrainian coast, including the city of Odessa, and leave behind this rump state that links Russia proper, all the way across Ukraine's Black Sea coast and the Sea of Azov to Transnistria and Moldova. Um, Pipe dream, absolute fantasy. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the manpower, the material or the technical expertise to execute anything like that kind of operation. What are they talking about? Are, Are they, is this designed for external consumption or internal consumption? Do they even, does the Kremlin even have any idea what's going on in the ground? I think that's an open question.
0: I I I think that the idea that after two months of of uh, or I guess it's almost two months or it has been two months more than two train. months February twenty four yeah that they would be opening a third front and well and, they and had a third it, front and, expand, and it collapsed and it, right but expanding the war into yet another country I know it's a breakaway republic but expanding the war into yet another country that does seem it's like okay guys you know what it. You know what? We're we're not even going to grace this with a response. Like, show it. You know, tell, well, can tell make us trouble. something. Tell us something that's actually going to scare us a little bit. I mean, there's because... like 800. There's like 8,500
2: armed personnel in, in Transnistria. Moldova, I think, has an army of like 6,000 to 10,000. It's very. It's not. A, it's not a country that can defend itself. So they could make some trouble internally and create another failed state on Europe's borders. Oh, I...
0: I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying they can't. So yesterday, Lloyd Austin, uh, you know, when when uh, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, made their appearance in Kiev, and Lloyd Austin basically said the American policy is to weaken Russia. In the long term, we're not going to, and it's an interesting modification of the regime change thing, which is obviously such an incredible disaster that Biden said this man cannot stay in power, right? Which he said going off the reservation that it was like he was passionate. He was, it's not really policy and all of that. Um, but it's a pretty striking thing to say, right? It's a very striking thing to say. Your purpose isn't just to get them to leave Ukraine alone. Get out of Ukraine and let Ukraine survive as an independent democratic state. But not only that but also to weaken them so they can't play this they can't do this stuff more and threaten anybody uh more and so if they're if the lavrov response is to say a we're gonna nuke you and b we're gonna start a we're gonna start war in a third country when we can't even a second gun when we can't even tie our shoelaces in this one country um that's very lame, I think. I mean, I I, I I, don't want to, you know, I know we're supposed to say, oh, well, you know, if a nuclear power threatens nuclear, then we have to take it very seriously. But it does strike me as a kind of very lame, really, I mean, <laughs> like, stop talking and like, secure your aims in, in, in Ukraine, and then we're going to be scared. Like, do, you know, do, we're not going to be more scared than Zelensky is you know it's you're 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 slaughtering people in his country you're starving people in his country you're destroying the infrastructure of his country and he's pretty resolute and pretty calm you know you're not going to scare us I I thought that was an interesting I think it's just like they they've got very this is your point but they have got very few arrows left in their quiver we spent a month, at least a month saying, "This, who uh, I don't know. Like this is, we shouldn't get triumphalist about this. You know, the Russians have a lot of arrows in the quiver. They're big. They, you know, they they have a history of you know grinding it out in war and you know securing their aims. Eventually, throwing bodies at things and all of that. And there was some point, a month to six weeks in, when that kind of pessimistic, re- r- rationalist, realistic view." started seeming a little excessively pessimistic and a little too sort of like um i don't know obsessed with a past, you know that past you know past results don't refer, reflect you know present possible gains they're not the country they were they're not the soviet union they're not the country that you know made it through and and won the winter war in finland eventually They're not the country that survived Stalingrad any more than we're the country that won World War II. And we shouldn't assume that they're, you know, we shouldn't assume that they know what they're doing or that Lavrov knows what he's doing. And they apparently aren't that scared. Abe, tell me one thing before we go. Uh, I have a local thing. What? You have a local
1: thing? Go. Yeah. Oh, did you have a particular question? No, 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 no. I've just read that the president of the Times Square alliance says that the weed trucks are going in may Good luck. okay we need to explain what those I are know, i said it's local <laughs>
0: every other block in times square in our neighborhood where our office is and around for actually for three or four years now long b- before the uh, before the uh, liberalization of the laws there were these trucks they say weed world on them or candy weed or something like that and you couldn't figure out what they were there for. And apparently what they were there for is you go up to them and you give them your phone number, that's all. And then when when the then they would call the guy from high maintenance on HBO and he would deliver weed to you somewhere. It was like a walking advertisement for weed distribution, but there was nothing illegal about it because it was just a truck. But the trucks are everywhere. And I guess maybe now they're selling weed out of the truck. I'm not. Yeah, sure.
1: it's hard. To, it's hard to figure it out. I, okay. I think they are. Okay. But. Um, so what I've just read is that apparently they have all, each one of these trucks, have racked up tens of thousands of dollars in tickets, and that hasn't been enforced for years.
0: Well, it's and a misdemeanor. Is, it's a misdemeanor. Abe. Eh? we don't we don't prosecute misdemeanors anymore.
1: Right. So apparently that's changing. They're all getting towed.
0: I was thinking about we'll see. this. We're going a little long, but I was thinking about this in relation to er- Eric Adams was on 60 Minutes this weekend, the mayor of New York. And he said, I, I embody and per- personify New York. It's like, yeah, we'll see, buddy. Like you've been there for three months and, you know, I understand you have a lot of swagger and you want to show that you have a lot of swagger. Uh, came in saying you were going to, you know, like deal with the crime wave and crime is up 41%. So if I were you, I would probably shut your mouth and like try to get your job done rather than walk around trying to get good profiles of you because that stuff can kill you in in a heartbeat really fast if these numbers don't turn the other way. But I was thinking about the uniquely difficult position that he's in, in in comparison to, say, Rudy Giuliani. When Rudy came in and became mayor in 94, there was a nationwide turn toward more severe criminal punishment, Everywhere, including, you know, there was some, you know, including the crime bill, the famous crime bill that Joe Biden then, um, you know, disavowed during his run in 2020. Um, But Rudy wasn't wasn't pushing against, uh, you know, uh, the consensus of his, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a giant consensus. The consensus had collapsed liberals and liberal criminologists had basically put up the white flag and said, we don't know what to do anymore. We think everything you're going to do is going to be mean and bad and like going to be mean to the homeless and you're going to, you know, put people in jail and that's really not helpful. But they had nothing positive to say anymore. And Adams really is facing, particularly in Manhattan, this criminological theory that low level crime should not be prosecuted. Misdemeanors shouldn't people shouldn't. And so you're asking cops, the whole way that you deal with the crime wave in New York is to arrest for misdemeanors. That that is the classic that was that was the methodology. And if if the if the NYPD no, doesn't know or assure that those arrests are going to be useless, you're not going to get cops making the arrests. Why are they going to waste their time doing the paperwork and then the people are going to get released because the prosecutors aren't going to bring it into court. So we need a second second wave here, a second step here. Uh, you know, the bail law has already been changed in New York State. 72% of New Yorkers in the poll this week said that they had supported toughening up the bail laws. 72%. But he's still got this Manhattan DA and the entire world of decar- decarceration on his back. So... That said, he better shut up and stop talking about how he's so great because he is literally failing catastrophically at the one thing that he was supposed to do. Now, maybe it's beyond his ability to fix, but if it's beyond his ability to fix, then his mayoralty is over even before it's began. You know, and he'll serve four years or he'll be out sooner because someone will, someone will, you know. Drop the dirty dime on the fact that he really isn't a New York City resident or something, and he'll get he'll get you know he'll get driven out of office. Happens happens in this state all the time that people get driven out of office. Two out of the last three governors driven out of office, attorney generals driven out of office. You know, and not for the things that they and not for the reasons that they should have been driven out of office for either. But the weed trucks going is a good. Sorry, went so long. I'm sorry to have apologized. We'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, and I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.